Day 7 of Totus Tuus' Novena With quotes from John Paul II's encyclical Redemptor Hominis This necessarily brief look at man's situation in the modern world makes us direct our thoughts and our hearts to Jesus Christ and to the mystery of the redemption in which the question of man is inscribed with a special vigour of truth and love. If Christ united himself with each man The Church lives more profoundly her own nature and mission by penetrating into the depths of this mystery and into its rich universal language. It was not without reason that the Apostle speaks of Christ's body, the Church. If this mystical body of Christ is God's people, as the Second Vatican Council was to say later on the basis of the whole of the biblical and patristic tradition, this means that in it each man receives within himself that breath of life that comes from Christ. In this way, turning to man and his real problems, his hopes and sufferings, his achievements and falls, this too also makes the Church as a body, an organism, a social unit, perceive the same divine influences, the light and strength of the Spirit that come from the crucified and risen Christ. And it is for this very reason that she lives her life. The Church has only one life, that which is given her by her spouse and Lord. Indeed, precisely because Christ united himself with her in his mystery of redemption, the Church must be strongly united with each man. This union of Christ with man is in itself a mystery. From the mystery is born the new man, called to become a partaker of God's life, and newly created in Christ for the fullness of grace and truth. Christ's union with man is power and the source of power, as St. John stated so incisively in the prologue of his Gospel. The Word gave power to become children of God. Man is transformed inwardly by this power, as the source of a new life that does not disappear and pass away, but lasts to eternal life. This life, which the Father has promised and offered to each man in Jesus Christ, his eternal and only Son, who when the time had fully come, became incarnate and was born of the Virgin Mary, is the final fulfillment of man's vocation. It is in a way the fulfillment of the destiny that God has prepared for him from eternity. This divine destiny is advancing in spite of all the enigmas, the unsolved riddles, the twists and turns of human destiny in the world of time. Indeed, while all this, in spite of all the riches of life and time, necessarily and inevitably leads to the frontier of death and the goal of the destruction of the human body, beyond that goal we see Christ, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall never die. In Jesus Christ, who was crucified and laid in the tomb, and then rose again, our hope of resurrection dawned, the bright promise of immortality, on the way to which man, through the death of the body, shares with the whole of visible creation the necessity to which matter is subject. We intend and are trying to fathom ever more deeply the language of the truth that man's Redeemer enshrined in the phrase, 
It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no avail. In spite of appearances, these words express the highest affirmation of man, the affirmation of the body given life by the spirit. The church lives these realities. She lives by this truth about man, which enables him to go beyond the bounds of temporariness and at the same time to think with particular love and solicitude of everything within the dimensions of this temporariness that affects man's life and the life of the human spirit, in which is expressed that never-ending restlessness referred to in the words of St. Augustine. You made us for yourself, Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. In this creative restlessness beats and pulsates what is most deeply human, the search for truth, the insatiable need for the good, hunger for freedom, nostalgia for the beautiful, and the voice of conscience. Seeking to see man, as it were, with the eyes of Christ himself, the Church becomes more and more aware that she is the guardian of a great treasure, which she may not waste but must continually increase. Indeed, the Lord Jesus said, He who does not gather with me scatters. This treasure of humanity enriched by the inexpressible mystery of divine filiation and by the grace of adoption as sons in the only Son of God, through whom we call God Abba Father, is also a powerful force unifying the Church above all inwardly and giving meaning to all her activity. Through this force, the Church is united with the Spirit of Christ, that Holy Spirit promised and continually communicated by the Redeemer, and whose descent, which was revealed on the day of Pentecost, endures forever. Thus the powers of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and the fruits of the Holy Spirit are revealed in men. The present-day Church seems to repeat with ever greater fervor and with holy insistence, Come, Holy Spirit, come, come. Heal our wounds, our strength renew. On our dryness pour your dew. Wash the stains of guilt away. Bend the stubborn heart and will. Melt the frozen, warm the chill. Guide the steps that go astray. This appeal to the Spirit, intended precisely to obtain the Spirit, is the answer to all the materialisms of our age. It is these materialisms that give birth to so many forms of insatiability in the human heart. This appeal is making itself heard on various sides and seems to be bearing fruit also in different ways. Can it be said that the Church is not alone in making this appeal? Yes, it can, because the need for what is spiritual is expressed also by people who are outside the visible confines of the Church. Is not this confirmed by the truth concerning the Church that the recent Council so acutely emphasized at the point in the dogmatic constitution Lumen Gentium, where it teaches that the Church is a sacramental sign and means of intimate union with God and of the unity of all mankind. This invocation addressed to the Spirit, to obtain the Spirit, is really a constant self-insertion into the full magnitude of the mystery of the redemption, in which Christ, united with the Father and with each man, continually communicates to us the Spirit who places within us the sentiments of the Son and directs us towards the Father. 
This is why the church of our time, a time particularly hungry for the Spirit, because it is hungry for justice, peace, love, goodness, fortitude, responsibility and human dignity, must concentrate and gather round that mystery, finding in it the light and the strength that are indispensable for her mission. For if, as was already said, man is the way for the church's daily life, the church must be always aware of the dignity of the divine adoption received by man in Christ through the grace of the Holy Spirit and of his destination to grace and glory. By reflecting ever anew on all this, and by accepting it with a faith that is more and more aware, and a love that is more and more firm, the Church also makes herself better fitted for the service to man, to which Christ the Lord calls her when he says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. The Church performs this ministry by sharing in the triple office belonging to her Master and Redeemer. This teaching, with its biblical foundation, was brought fully to the fore by the Second Vatican Council, to the great advantage of the Church's life. For when we become aware that we share in Christ's triple mission, his triple office as priest, as prophet, and as king, we also become more aware of what must receive service from the whole of the Church as the society and community of the people of God on earth. And we likewise understand how each one of us must share in this mission and service. In the light of the sacred teaching of the Second Vatican Council, the Church thus appears before us as the social subject of responsibility for divine truth. With deep emotion we hear Christ himself saying, The word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. In this affirmation by our Master, do we not notice responsibility for the revealed truth, which is the property of God himself, since even he, the only Son, who lives in the bosom of the Father, when transmitting that truth as a prophet and teacher, feels the need to stress that he is acting in full fidelity to its divine source. The same fidelity must be a constitutive quality of the Church's faith, both when she is teaching it and when she is professing it. Faith, as a specific supernatural virtue infused into the human spirit, makes us sharers in knowledge of God as a response to his revealed word. Therefore it is required, when the Church professes and teaches the faith, that she should adhere strictly to divine truth, and should translate it into living attitudes of obedience and harmony with reason. Christ himself, concerned for this fidelity to divine truth, promised the Church the special assistance of the Spirit of Truth, gave the gift of infallibility to those whom he entrusted with the mandate of transmitting and teaching that truth as has besides been clearly defined by the First Vatican Council, and has then been repeated by the Second Vatican Council, and he furthermore endowed the whole of the people of God with a special sense of the faith. Consequently, we have become sharers in this mission of the Prophet Christ, and in virtue of that mission, we together with him are serving divine truth in the Church. Being responsible for that truth also means loving it, and seeking the most exact understanding of it, in order to bring it closer to ourselves and others in all its saving power, its splendor, and its profundity, joined with simplicity. This love and this aspiration to understand the truth 
must go hand in hand, as is confirmed by the histories of the saints in the Church. These received most brightly the authentic light that illuminates divine truth and brings close to God's very reality. Because they approach this truth with veneration and love, love in the first place for Christ, the living word of divine truth, and then love for his human expression in the gospel, tradition and theology. Today we still need above all that understanding and interpretation of God's word. We need that theology. Theology has always had and continues to have great importance for the church, the people of God, to be able to share creatively and fruitfully in Christ's mission as prophet. Therefore, when theologians as servants of divine truth dedicate their studies and labours to ever deeper understanding of that truth, they can never lose sight of the meaning of their service in the church, which is enshrined in the concept intellectus fidei. This concept has, so to speak, a two-way function, in line with St. Augustine's expression, intellege ut credas, crede ut intelligas. And it functions correctly when they seek to serve the magisterium, which in the church is entrusted to the bishops, joined by the bond of hierarchical communion with Peter's successor, when they place themselves at the service of their solicitude in teaching and giving pastoral care, and when they place themselves at the service of the apostolic commitments of the whole of the people of God. As in preceding ages, and perhaps more than in preceding ages, theologians and all men of learning in the Church are today called to unite faith with learning and wisdom in order to help them to combine with each other, as we read in the prayer in the liturgy of the Memorial of St. Albert, Doctor of the Church. This task has grown enormously today because of the advance of human learning, its methodology, and the achievements and knowledge of the world and of man. This concerns both the exact sciences and the human sciences, as well as philosophy, which, as the Second Vatican Council recalled, is closely linked with theology. In this field of human knowledge, which is continually being broadened and yet differentiated, faith too must be investigated deeply, manifesting the magnitude of revealed mystery and tending towards an understanding of truth, which has in God its one supreme source. If it is permissible and even desirable that the enormous work to be done in this direction should take into consideration a certain pluralism of methodology, the work cannot, however, depart from the fundamental unity in the teaching of faith and morals, which is that work's end. Accordingly, close collaboration by theology with the magisterium is indispensable. Every theologian must be particularly aware of what Christ himself stated when he said, the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Nobody, therefore, can make of theology as it were a simple collection of his own personal ideas, but everybody must be aware of being in close union with the mission of teaching truth for which the Church is responsible. The sharing in the prophetic office of Christ himself shapes the life of the whole of the Church in her fundamental dimension. A particular share in this office belongs to the pastors of the Church, who teach and continually and in various ways proclaim and transmit the doctrine concerning the Christian faith and morals. This teaching, both in its missionary and its ordinary aspect, helps to assemble the people of God around Christ, prepares for participation in the Eucharist, 
and points out the ways for sacramental life. In 1977, the Synod of the Bishops dedicated special attention to catechesis in the modern world, and the mature results of its deliberations, experiences, and suggestions will shortly find expression, in keeping with a proposal made by the participants in the Synod, in a special papal document. Catechesis certainly constitutes a permanent and also fundamental form of activity by the Church, one in which her prophetic charism is manifested. Witnessing and teaching go hand in hand, and although here we are speaking in the first place of priests, it is, however, impossible not to mention also the great number of men and women religious dedicating themselves to catechetical activity for the love of the Divine Master. Finally, it would be difficult not to mention the many lay people who find expression in this activity for their faith and their apostolic responsibility. Furthermore. Increasing care must be taken that the various forms of catechesis and its various fields, beginning with the fundamental field, family catechesis, that is the catechesis by parents of their children, should give evidence of the universal sharing by the whole of the people of God in the prophetic office of Christ Himself. Linked with this fact, the Church's responsibility for divine truth must be increasingly shared in various ways by all. What shall we say at this point with regard to the specialists in the various disciplines, those who represent the natural sciences and letters, doctors, jurists, artists, and technicians, teachers at various levels and with different specialisations? They all have their own part to play in Christ's prophetic mission and service of divine truth. Among other ways, by an honest attitude towards truth, whatever field it may belong to, while educating others in truth. And teaching them to mature in love and justice. Thus, a sense of responsibility for truth is one of the fundamental points of encounter between the Church and each man, and also one of the fundamental demands determining man's vocation in the community of the Church. The present-day Church, guided by a sense of responsibility for truth, must persevere in fidelity to her own nature. Which involves the prophetic mission that comes from Christ Himself. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. O Lord Jesus Christ, keep us in Your love. Let us hear Your voice and believe what You say. For you alone have the words of life. Teach us how to profess our faith, bestow our love, and impart our hope to others. Make us convincing witnesses to your gospel in a world so much in need of your saving grace. Make us the new people of the Beatitudes, that we may be the salt of the earth and the light of the world at the beginning of the third Christian millennium. Amen. Mary, Mother of Christ and of the Church, pray for us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.